The sign that says podcast recording, do not enter, do not, do not, <laughs> do not knock podcast underway. Because that time the a turbine inspector came in and just walked into my office and, and gave us updates. But sorry. Um, anyhow, where were you? <laughs> um, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, you're listening to All Things True. I'm your host, Cody B. Today we have a very special guest with us. Um, we have a friend of mine, and in, in my opinion, um, he's one of the most intelligent men and ministers I've, I've ever met in my entire life. Uh, his name is Josh Parnell. Josh Parnell is the minister at the Monette Church of Christ in Monette, Arkansas, just northeast of Jonesboro. He is also the Greek professor at the uh, at, at Crowley's Ridge College for their Bible department. Um, he's he's an excellent minister, very intelligent person, and it's great to have you on the show today, Josh. Thank you, Cody. It's great to be here. Today, we are going to touch a, su- a subject that is not taught enough in Churches of Christ. Um, it's a subject that scares a lot of members of the Church of Christ because they don't talk about it enough, and yet it's mentioned and and littered all throughout the New Testament and even in the Old Testament as well. Today we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Who He is, what He does, what His role is in Christianity, and what is His role today in the 21st century? When you look at the New Testament and you talk about the Holy Spirit, you, you you read about the spiritual gifts, you read about the speaking in tongues, you read about the prophecies and the healings and the administrations and, and the help. But beyond that, churches of Christ don't really discuss what his role is in today's modern Christian. We We know he dwells within us, but we don't know what he does. And so Josh is here to discuss that with us this morning. So Josh, who is the Holy Spirit? Right. Yeah, so the Holy Spirit, um, to give us a, I guess as, as condensed of an answer as possible, the Holy Spirit is God. Right? I mean, we talk about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit as being three at one, but like you said, in our churches, we don't often bring up the Holy Spirit. Um, we think it's too difficult to understand or too scary to talk about. So we'll talk about the Father and we'll talk about Jesus, but we don't talk about the Spirit. Um, you know, there's a story in Acts chapter 5 um, where a couple lies about how much they've given to the church the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, in Acts 5, verses 3 and 4, uh, the Apostle Peter says to them, you know, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And then shortly after that, you've not lied to men, but to God. Mm. So Peter equates the Holy Spirit with God. 
And I guess part of what bothers me about this is we'll say that the Holy Spirit is too difficult to understand. Therefore, we don't talk about him. Mm-hmm. But is God the Father easy to understand? <laughs> no. <laughs> is is Jesus easy to understand? I mean, he's fully God and fully human at the same time. Like, how do we wrap our heads around that? I don't know. We, we can't. I no. can't. But that doesn't keep us from teaching about the Father. That doesn't keep us from teaching about Jesus, the Son. So it shouldn't keep us from teaching about the Holy Spirit. I don't claim to be any expert. I think that would be the most arrogant thing anybody could claim to be an expert on God. (laughs) (laughs) But, But I do think it is really sad that we would use him being difficult to understand as an excuse not to study about him or teach about him or dwell on him. Is the Holy Spirit, I say, I, and I kind of spoiled this question already, is he found throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament? Absolutely. Uh, what was there, his role in the Old Testament? Right. He's there at the very beginning in the Old Testament. I mean, the very, very beginning. You know, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters right he he's always there um he comes upon the prophets he comes upon the judges he empowers them he gives them strength um there is a a nice passage that really describes kind of who he is and what he does in isaiah Uh, isaiah chapter 11 verses 1 and 2 and it's a prophecy of the, the coming Messiah, you know, it's a prophecy about Jesus. And it talks about how the Spirit is going to come upon him. And um, let's see, Isaiah 11, verse 2, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So, when the Spirit of the Lord descends upon people, he brings wisdom and understanding and might and power and knowledge and fear of the Lord. So he was active in the Old Testament. You, you said prophets, judges, um, and, and that it describes his role more clearly, and, and that's Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2. So what is the Holy Spirit's role in the New Testament? Right. Well, I think to understand, in order to understand his role, I think we need to understand, like, what, what, what the gospel is. Like, what is mm. the good news of Jesus Christ? Okay. When Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost... In Acts chapter 2, he chooses a text from, from mm. the, what we call the Old Testament, from the scriptures, to kind of base his sermon on. And out of the many, many texts that he could have chosen 
about the coming of the Messiah. Um, the one that he chooses is Joel chapter 2, verses 28 to 32, which starts off with, In the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall, see, shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they will prophesy. So the, the, the coming day of the Lord that is brought about by the, the Messiah and so forth, it's a day when God is pouring out his spirit on everyone. Men and women, young and old, masters and servants, the Spirit of the Lord is being poured out on everyone. So I think we need to understand that part of the goal of being followers of Christ is more than just receiving uh, forgiveness of sins. It's receiving the Holy Spirit. Mm. That is we, uh, interesting. Go ahead. Well, you know, in the churches of Christ, we, we make a very big deal about baptism. Right. And we should. Right. Because the Bible makes a very big deal about baptism. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but... In the churches of Christ, at least in, in my, my history with them, and, you know, I've been born and raised Church of Christ. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Paul defends his Jewishness by saying he was circumcised in the eighth day. Well, I was baptized in the 13th year. <laughs> you know, <I> mean, <laughs> it's, I've spent my whole life in the church, and we, we teach baptism for the remission of sins absolutely and that's kind of what we we often and that's not at. that's not wrong is it no no that's not wrong but i think it's only part of the picture because we use baptism for the permission uh, for the remission of sins and then we stop there as though that is what uh, baptism is all about mm-hmm so what's the other part of baptism? Well, I think we forget that when when John the Baptist was baptizing, um, he was baptizing people for the forgiveness of sins. As in Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, Luke chapter 3, verse 3, um, they already had baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And what John says is going to distinguish the Christ from himself is, he says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. That's Mark 1, 7, 8, and Luke 3, 16. And then we get to back to the day of Pentecost, and Peter says to the people, repent and be baptized, Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
And mm-hmm. we sometimes want to say, well, the, the first part of that is for us, like the forgiveness of the sins. But the second part, that gift of the Holy Spirit, that was just for Peter and the, the people who heard him in that, at that time, in that immediate context. But the very next verse says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. We try to take the Holy Spirit out of that context, don't we? I think we do. And, and whether it's intentional or not, one time I think it was intentional. I don't think it's intentional from as many pulpits anymore, but we tried to take the Holy Spirit out of that promise. You know, that doesn't apply to future directions. You know, I don't speak in tongues. I don't prophesy miraculously. Therefore, that part must not apply to me. So if we're seeing the... So, okay, what is the gift of the Holy Spirit then? Right. Maybe, maybe we should start there. If, if it's not the tongues, then, if, then, then what is it? Right. So the gift of the Holy Spirit I believe in this context is just receiving the Holy Spirit and receiving, having him dwell inside of you. So the Spirit is the gift. Yes, the Holy Spirit okay. is the gift. All right. And there are so many verses that talk about the Spirit dwelling within us. Um, you know, 1 Corinthians 30, 16 says we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, 619 first Corinthians 619 our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit uh, Romans 8 9 through 11 you know the Spirit of God dwells within you um, just over and over again and I think where we where we get caught up when we're talking about receiving the Spirit is our mind immediately goes to some of the examples in Acts where the people received the Spirit and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. Mm-hmm. And then we'll say, well, I don't see speaking in tongues. Um, I don't see like a, what appears to be a supernaturally inspired prophecy. Mm -hmm. But the Bible also tells us that not everybody who received the Spirit was doing those things. Right. Um, And I hope I'm I'm not spitting too many too many verses out too fast here no you're hey they can pause it <laughs> they can they can pause it they can rewind it they can go back and listen and and, and, and write them down no it's you're not spitting out too many verses too fast like, like i said that's what's the great thing about the podcast is david and i said it best they can go back and re-listen or if someone doesn't like what you say you can go back and re-listen and and, and challenge yourself no you're you're fine on that part josh um so yeah. I was going to say, you know, 1 Corinthians 12, they're talking about speaking in tongues. Like, that's the subject matter. Speaking in tongues and prophecy and the gifts of the Spirit. Right. And in verse 27 through 31 of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul asks this rhetorical question. He's like, not all um, are, are apostles, are they? You know, are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? I mean, he's rhetorically asking, okay, not, you all know not everybody has all these gifts. So even, even back then, not everybody who received the Spirit was speaking in tongues. 
not everybody who received the Spirit was prophesying or working miracles. Right? There are other things mentioned like healing and helping and administrating and teaching. You know, things that we wouldn't think are quite as sensational. But they were being guided by the Spirit to do those things. And I just bring that up because we've got to separate this um, notion that the Holy Spirit is just speaking in tongues and working miracles. Mm. Because even in the first century context, that was not true. Some of them spoke in tongues. Some of them worked miracles, not all of them. And yet the Spirit was every bit as much with those members of the church who weren't performing miracles as he was with those who were. We often look at that context and, and we think that everyone in the church had some spiritual, miraculous spiritual gift, but you bring up an interesting point that that's made probably not the case. Yeah, well, I mean, he says things like, you know, uh, verse 28, 1 Corinthians 12, God has appointed in the church first apostles, and we want to say, okay, well, we don't have them anymore. Second right. prophets. Um, that one's a little more iffy, but you know, we don't think of, we don't think of like the supernaturally inspired prophets so much. Right. Um, context. Then we get to the third teachers. Mm. Well, do we have teachers? We do. I hope, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> right. Then right. miracles, then gifts of healing, and then after gifts of healing is helping. Just helping others. Mm. Um, ad administrating. And and that word administrating, it comes from a it comes from a, a Greek word that's usually given to like the captain of a ship. It's like someone who directs the ship. But it's the idea of like leading, organizing, um, you know, getting people together and sending them off to, to get a job done kind of thing. Well, I hope we still have people who can do that. Yes. You know, organization. We, we get, <laughs> right. We tend to get caught up in the, the idea of speaking in tongues and working miracles. But even then, that did not describe everyone who had the spirit of God. The Spirit of God was present within those who were, who just had a gift for helping others, who had a gift for for leading others, for teaching others. It's it's more than just speaking in tongues, and I I think that's something we really need to get past. It's it's kind of a, that's kind of a stumbling block or hurdle for us in our context in the present day churches of Christ. And we need to get past that. The Holy Spirit is much more than just speaking in tongues or working miracles. So, Josh, do we need the apostles to lay hands on us to receive the Holy Spirit? Yeah, that is a great question. And I, I believe that from Scripture, the answer is no. Now, I, there is a reason a scriptural reason why you see the spirit bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands. And that may be a whole other podcast in itself. I think it's 
there's an exegetical reason for that we can draw from the book of Acts. But Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 11 um, that the God will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. It's in Luke chapter 11. And we're, we're pretty familiar with the first part of this, but we often forget the last part about the Holy Spirit. Uh, starting in verse uh, 9, Jesus says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of the fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the if you are if you are not if you feel like you are not experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, the solution is to ask. Right? I mean, you need to obviously you need to confess your faith in Jesus, repent of your sins, be baptized. But then, if you if you are not receive you if you are not if you think you are not receiving the gifts of the Spirit, just ask. Just go to God in prayer and ask. And you know, right. And ahead. I think, well, you know, when Paul tells the Corinthians, you know, to earnestly desire the greater gifts and pursue the greater gifts. Um, I, I think that's what he's telling them to do as well, right? It's, it's not that you need an, the apostle to come and lay hands on you so that you receive that specific gift. I think if that's what he was talking about, it's probably what he would do himself. But he just tells them to earnestly pursue those greater gifts. Very excellent. Very good thoughts. What is the role of the Holy Spirit right now in the 21st century Christian? Yeah. So let's think of what is a spirit? Like, like just any spirit, never mind the, the Holy Spirit, but what is a spirit? And, you know, when God creates man... And it says, you know, he breathed into him the breath of life. Well, that word breath is the same word that we translate as spirit elsewhere. Um, so you could, you could translate it, you know, he spirited into him the spirit of life. This, you know, we all have a spirit within us, right? And when we die, our spirit goes up to God while our bodies go into the ground. As Ecclesiastes. Right. right? Mm -hmm. So you're, you have a spirit. And in, in a real sense, your body is like your house in which your spirit dwells. Right. And Jesus even tells a parable using that same um, imagery. Uh, let's see, I think it's Luke 11. I'm thinking it, yeah, Luke 11, 24 through 26. 
he tells this parable about a man who had an unclean spirit and he uses that imagery of a house. Mm-hmm. And the in the parable, you know, the unclean spirit has gone out of the man and then it wanders around, finds nowhere to stay, comes back to the, as he says, the house from which I came and finds the house swept and put in order. So then he goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first. So the there's this picture of the body being like a house and the spirit being who dwells in there. Well, you live in your house. But when you live in a house, you don't necessarily live there alone. You can welcome other people in. Mm-hmm. You can welcome them in for a visit, or you can welcome them in to live with you permanently. And the goal for mankind from the beginning, from Eden to the New Jerusalem, the goal for mankind is to dwell with God to walk with God, to live with God, to be in the presence of God. And sin separate, sin ruins that for us. Right. So what the spirit does is allow, you know, when we say the Holy Spirit, that is the spirit of God and God is dwelling with us. God is walking with us god is living with us that is interesting that's a great analogy josh because it plays right along with and ties right into the our bodies being a temple of the holy spirit being a temple of god if if our body is is a house for our spirit it then becomes a temple for god who dwells along with our spirit is that accurate yes was that is that what your point is? It's yes, that's what my point is. Yeah, God's spirit dwells in us and with us. Yes. So what does the Holy Spirit do while it's dwelling within us? Right. Okay, so, well, you think about it. You bring someone into your house to live with you. Mm-hmm. permanently mm-hmm. they're not just dropping by for a visit are you going to change <laughs> yes yes I'm going to clean my house Josh <laughs> yes <laughs> I'm, I'm going to put my dogs in the kennel <laughs> yeah. yes. but I mean it's like everything about you is going to change right right I mean I mean, you know, those who are married and have children, I mean, that should be an obvious, but even if, you know, even if you're just bringing in a roommate or whatever, right? you live differently than you would live if you were on your own. Right. So, you know, I got married nine years ago, or no, excuse me, (laughs) better edit that out. Uh Oh, I got married 11 years ago. I got married 11 years ago. We have two kids. And when my wife and I started living together, um, 
I had to start changing habits. And so did she, because we're not living alone anymore. Right. Just just living with another person changed the way that we acted. It changed our priorities. It changed what was important in our lives. And then when our kids came along, all those things changed again. Someone else comes into the house. You've got a new set of priorities. Uh, Your life takes on a new direction. When the Spirit of God is dwelling within us, it changes us. I should say He changes us. That's a pet, another pet peeve of mine is when we use right. that to refer to the Spirit. But He changes us because He's living with us. And just from Him being with us, we cannot help but be different. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, most Sunday school kids, you grow up, you learn the fruit of the Spirit. Right, from Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Well, it's the fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit of God is dwelling with you, that is what gets produced from your life. Right? That is what comes out of you. God's Spirit is within you, and the fruit of that is love and joy and peace. When you're walking with the Spirit, you're walking according to the Spirit, you change. Your life becomes different. And beforehand, you know, you're just walking according to the flesh. And what comes out of your life is sensuality and immorality and, and division and rage and all this, this stuff. But when you're walking with the Spirit, when God's Spirit's within you, then what comes out of you is the, the kind of things that God is. You know, what is God starts coming out of you. What defines God starts defining you. The love and the patience and so forth. Okay, so if the Holy Spirit dwelling within us changing us, changes us and changes our actions... If we go from doing the works of the flesh, going along with the Galatians passage, to bearing and, and living the fruits of the spirits, the fruit of excuse me, the fruits of the spirit, not spirits, the spirit. Um, and we have this holy, we have the Holy Spirit within us, and He's guiding us and, and directing us, and and we're bearing these fruits. If we have the Holy Spirit within us, why do we still sin? Right. And I think that goes to this idea of quenching the Spirit, grieving mm. the Spirit. Right. Because we're Where, told. Where is that not, at, Josh? Uh, grieving the Spirit is in Ephesians 4 uh, 30. Yeah. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you're sealed for the day of redemption. And then quenching the spirit is First uh, Thessalonians five, right. verse nineteen. Do not quench the spirit. So to stick with the home analogy, just because you welcome someone into your home, um. And, and let's, let's be clear, welcoming the Spirit in is not a visit. Right. right. It, is, it is like that 
I mean, you know, Paul uses the analogy of marriage to describe the church's relationship with Christ. It's, it's an intimate relationship like that. I mean, your, your life is being intertwined with that of the spirit. Um, even when you bring someone into your house like that, you don't always do what is what you should do. Um, you don't always do what is best for that person. Sometimes you still act selfishly, right? Even wow. though you're no longer you're no longer living alone, but sometimes you act like it anyway. Mm. Right? It's not that the spirit somehow takes over our free will it's more like the spirit is just by being with us he's he's changing us over time through that relationship but just as you know you can know that someone has your best interests in mind you can know that someone is right and still ignore them anyway because we all still struggle with that that selfishness and those lusts that we have. And so God's, God's spirit can be directing us one way and, but we can out of our own volition, choose to quench the spirit and go chasing after lust instead. If we quench the spirit and choose to chase after the the lust of the of the flesh, the mm -hmm. the works of the flesh in Galatians, um, does the Holy Spirit leave? Yeah, that's a good question. And. I think that's something we need to seriously think about. Okay. I mean, right. does the spirit of God just elite, just leave you and abandon you? No, I, I wouldn't say not, not immediately, but there can, I would say there can come a point where that. So happens. it's not a revolving door where I sin, the Holy spirit leaves. I stop seeing the Holy spirit comes back. Right, yeah. I mean, that would be... Th th there's not much hope in a relationship like that. Right. Right. Um, and I don't want to stretch this analogy too thin here, but, you know, when two people are you know, say they're married or whatever, two people are sharing a home together. Every time one person does something wrong, is that it? Do you immediately cut off the relationship no. right there? Immediately have no. No. And and Josh, I want you to know I don't think that's a bad analogy. That's the analogy Paul uses where he calls us the, the bride of, of Jesus Christ. It it is a intimate special relationship. Um, but no, I, I don't think that's a bad analogy at all. Anyway, go ahead. Continue. I'm sorry. I, I think, you know, we need to understand, you know, if the fruit of the spirit is patience, 
Mm. Right. God is God is patient. And God is love. And God is peace. Right. And scripture shows us consistently that God has God is very patient. Now, he has a limit to his patience. There's no limit to God's love. There's no limit to his power. There's no limit to his wisdom. But there is limit to his patience. You know, he's... But... But... Um, but, but while there is a limit to it, he's still abounding in it. Right? So God is patient with us. It's a, you know... A, the walk with God is a process. Hold on, Josh. I got to connect you with here in a second. So I, I think we need to rethink the purpose behind why our sins are forgiven in the first place. So I think we've gotten into our heads that remission of sins is the goal, right? Of walking. We want to be forgiven of our sins and that's our end game. Mm-hmm. We'll be forgiven of our sins so that we can go to heaven. But it's, it's not that forgiveness of sins is not um, our end game. It's a step towards the goal. It's a necessary step towards the goal, but it is not, it is not the goal itself. Right? We need to be, you know, we need to have our sins forgiven so that God can dwell with us. And so, you know, we have our, you know, we're baptized for the remission of our sins. And then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, God cannot dwell or God will not dwell uh, in a defiled temple, in a temple of sin. Right. So we're washed clean so that we're purified so that God can dwell within us. Well, you take that analogy of a home. I mean, if if you're if you're welcoming someone into your home to live with you, I would hope that you'd try to make the house right for them. Right? That you prepare a place for them. And you know, the big where the analogy falls apart here is that, you know, Ordinarily, you, if you're welcoming someone into your home, you're the one cleaning up the house. We can't clean up our house. Right. God has to do that for us. And it's Jesus' sacrifice that cleans us. But, were we wel- but once we are clean from our sin, God can come and dwell with us. But then you're not going to abandon the house and abandon the relationship the first time something goes wrong Mm. that wouldn't be much of a relationship it's not much of a commitment so where is and and this is me i'm probably speaking in in human terms um definitely speaking in human terms so where is and this is a bad question josh and i'm sorry for that where is the line where the holy spirit says I've I've run out of patience with you. I'm I'm out. Yeah, and I I really from my understanding of scripture 
that is more on us than it is on the spirit. And I should say it's more on us than it is on God. It's we are the ones who say, I've had enough of this. I'm out. Mm. More so than God is. Because so God. Yeah. I mean, so it's more of a we kick the Holy Spirit out. We leave the presence of God than just God abandons us. Yes. When we decide, I don't want you anymore. When we decide, I want you out of, you know, I want you out of my house, which is just that, that line of thinking is itself such a, um, such a sign of selfishness, Mm -hmm. right? Because you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Your body is not your own. It's God's. And your spirit is not your own. It is God's. Like that is, that is the commitment that has been made. That is the covenant that has been made. And it's when we say, no, I want to break that covenant. I'm done. You know, to put it in human terms, I want a divorce. You know, I want out of this. Um, that is the point where, you know, where God's spirit leaves us. And I will say that is a, the, the, the Bible does not paint a very hopeful picture. No. For anyone who does such that. No, it does not. Um, in uh, the book of Hebrews in particular, uh, it says in verse Chapter 6, verse 4, it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they're crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. And that is not... You know, that that idea that it's impossible to to bring them back, impossible to restore them, that is not, I went out and I sinned. Right. Because Peter sins. Right. As do we all. No, that's something darker. That is a, I have given up on God. You still there? It's it's not that a single sin drives the spirit away because we know Peter sinned, right? Um, and I'm not talking about before Pentecost, and we know that he sinned after Pentecost, and Paul had to confront him about it. Right, but that doesn't right. mean that the Holy Spirit abandoned Peter. Right, we we are not complete. We are, you know, we're being sanctified. We are, we're following Christ. It's a process, but we're not there yet. 
right? And, and the Lord is shaping us and he disciplines us when necessary, but he's not kicking us out of the home every time we mess up or every time we sin. It's when, when we willingly choose to just reject it and leave it all behind. Um, and you've tasted it. You've tasted the goodness of God and his spirit. And you walk away and you leave it behind and say, I don't want it anymore. Um, that is when the spirit can leave us. And that is a pretty horrible place to be in. Uh, the, the scripture does not paint a picture of hope for those of us who make that choice. Uh, is there, do you have any other final thoughts? Um, yeah, one thing I wanted to bring up that I didn't get a chance to, uh, back on the yeah, we idea. Got time. Okay. Back on the idea. I got back. a lot of editing, but we got time. <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> well, I got to splice yeah. all these together, but anyhow. Yeah. On, uh, on baptism. Yes. Why was Jesus baptized? To receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah, I mean, he says... Or, to fulfill, I, that's what I believe. Yeah, because, I mean, he says, you know, the answer is to fulfill all righteousness. Right? But what does that even mean? And we know there are... He, he's not receiving it for the remission of sins because there's no sins to be remitted. Which... And, and John brings that up. He's like, I need to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me? Right? But then what does happen after his baptism? The, spirit the Holy descends. Spirit descends. Yeah. Yes. What what passage is that in, Josh? So people can look that up. That is in uh, Mark chapter one, verses seven and eight. No, that's that is incorrect. That is incorrect. Excuse me. Let me look here. Matthew chapter three, verse thirteen to seventeen. Matthew three, thirteen no, that, that's exactly right. It wasn't, I mean, Jesus was perfect. It wasn't to forgive sins. It was to fulfill all righteousness. And we always bring that point up. Well, Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Therefore, we should be baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Well, that includes the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Just like Jesus did. As a sign to John the Baptist that he was the Messiah. And then one other thing I'd like to bring up is, you know, the Holy Spirit is not the only spirit out there. Mm. Um, because there are multiple times in, in uh, the New Testament where the scripture contrasts the Holy Spirit with another kind of spirit. So, for example, in Second uh, Timothy one seven, it says you you have not received a spirit of fear, you have not received a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self control. Right. So the spirit that God gives you is not a spirit of fear, but spirit of power and love and self-control the holy spirit brings power the holy spirit brings love the holy spirit brings self-control but there's another spirit out there that brings fear and that's not a spirit from god and then like another example is in first john uh, chapter four um you know by the uh, verse two by this you know the spirit of god 
every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was mm. coming and now is in the world already. Um, and I, I don't ever want to read that without reading the verse 4 too. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Right, so there's there's a spirit of the Antichrist that is out there. That is out there and it is in the world. And but don't be afraid because the spirit who is in you, he who is in you, is greater than he who is in the world. And then a couple of verses later he contrasts them again. He's you know, there's the spirit of truth. And then there's also the spirit of error. Right? So spirit of truth, that's what God gives us. But the spirit of error is out there as well. And, I, you know, we need to be mindful of, you know, if you're like Jesus tells that parable of the, the man, the spirit was cast out of him and the spirit wanders around and it comes back and it finds the house swept and put in order. So he just decides he's going to move back in. If you do not, if the spirit of God is not in you, the spirit of something else will be. And that's, you know, that's something we need to be mindful of and be aware of. Josh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, you have been listening to All Things True. We thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, you can email them to perryvillecoc at gmail.com. That's perryvillecoc at gmail.com. Thank you so much for, for listening. May God bless and you have a wonderful day.